Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We are here. It is Wednesday, December 8th, a night following the big end-up blowout win over Syracuse in Madison Square Garden, part of the Jimmy V Classic. Uh, And we're coming to you to recap that game and to talk about the Baylor game things that everyone wants to talk about. But before we dive into it, Rob, what are you drinking tonight? Great question. I ran out of ice, so you'll hear no ice clinking. So it's just straight back on the wood for reserve with a little splash of water in there just to cut the edge a little bit because it's 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. We liked that 10 o'clock start time so much last night, we decided to run it back. And frankly... I'm at the end of my energy level tonight, but here I am. It's the thing we do for the listeners, as we always say, doing God's work for you. God's work here. I have picked an interesting decision because I am not, you know this about me. I'm not a big Irish whiskey guy. Mm -hmm. I like scotch. Mm -hmm. I like bourbon. I like most whiskeys. I like most alcohol. Not a big, no, I'm not discriminatory towards most. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I am picking an Irish whiskey tonight, and this is called the Green Spot. The Green Spot. Uh, I've, yeah. I've had this at your house before. It's a good one. It's a good one. So that's part of the reason why I like it, because I typically don't like it. Um, but the last time Villanova... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For yeah. our listeners, we were just talking before the podcast, and Chris was like, yo, I got to go get some water. And I was like, I don't know. Why do I need some water? Like, My mouth is so dry. And sure enough... We're two minutes in, that dry mouth has come to play. Lol. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Here we go. Here anyway, we go. All right. All right. Anyway. Let's back into it. I, Irish, Irish whiskey. The last time we played Baylor, was it was near St. Patrick's Day. So I am drinking Irish whiskey as a part of revenge against Baylor. That's the overall mentality. I like it. So that's where I'm at. That's what I'm drinking tonight, period. Boom. Shakalaka. All right. So best thing possible is that we went to the basketball game last night, and it was fucking incredible. Like being in Madison Square Garden in, a, in, an, in the arena, seeing people, seeing alums, seeing friends, seeing John Fanta, seeing Nova Hack guy, seeing all these people, cheerleaders, the band. Um, you saw, you saw, um, you know, Syracuse fans. It was the, the whole thing was just electric. It was the first time back in over a year and a half seeing a college basketball game live and it delivered. Absolutely delivered. And I really, one of my favorite parts of the night, even aside from the game was just that probably half hour, 40 minutes before the game, we were hanging out. I felt like I was back at homecoming just a constant rotation of people you hadn't seen in a while. And everybody had that exact same energy. It was like, we're here, we're doing this. Let's have a good time. It was a fun game against Q's too. So people were jacked up about it. It wasn't even like, oh, I've got to play Butler or something where you'd be like, ah, it's all right. Like we're here, it's fun. No, it's Q's at the garden. Let's go. Couldn't really have asked for anything better to restart that in-person college basketball experience. I loved it. And we had a great crew with us. And I got to say, there's, there's something special about that, like moment in MSG when your team goes on a run and that roar, I don't know the roar of the crowd. is an exaggeration. But but, but but you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. The hum, the, the roar of the crowd, when your team goes on a run, takes the lead, makes a couple big plays, um, like that, that kind of energy shift and that like intensity that kind of befalls the arena yeah. is just, it's just something about Madison Square Garden that is just different than other arenas. It is yeah. just, it is just an electric, like you get engrossed with it 
uh, in the atmosphere there. So, yeah. And, and it was also like, you felt it a lot more last night too, because you had two teams that are relatively local. The fan bases like to travel. They know what MSG means. So you definitely had a bit of that swinging back and forth. Syracuse fans, rightly so, were chirping a bit and were pretty pumped at the end of the first half. And it was it was really cool to feel that momentum swing and, and feel our crowd uh, get to exercise some, some demons, if you will. So as we expected, Cuse did have the turnout advantage. Um, that was pretty obvious. Uh, I, I surmised 65-35. I ended up feeling it was like 70-30, um, you know, of the fans there between Villanova and Q's. There was a small smattering of Texas and tech, uh, Texas Tech and Tennessee fans yeah. uh, that were there, but they really weren't a factor in the game at all. Uh, so that was kind of it. Really, the worst part about this was the game before it, uh, oh which Terrible. was just an absolute – shit show of a basketball game um, and to make matters worse went to overtime nobody needed to see that nobody yeah. asked for this and so and so that's what happened boom now our game starts at 10 o'clock and what happens i'm on a 1202 train back to <laughs> suburban new jersey uh to get home at one o'clock in the morning asleep at 1 30 melina's crying at six o'clock in the morning boom. wanting food that's where I'm at. And yet here I am. Here, here I am. That's I right. have told you guys on the last podcast to fucking relax and wait for this Baylor preview. Well, guess what? Now you're going to get it and you're getting me tired while you're getting it. So yeah. this is going to make it all, all, it's all jacked up. It's you're all jacked up. That's right. Cool. All right. What's next? We're going to get into the recap. We're going to recap the actual let's, game. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little <laughs> bit. Okay. So yeah. So we talked about how, how awesome it was for us to be at MSG. So let's talk about the actual game, which building on your point against of the Tennessee Texas tech game, our game also left a lot to be desired from the actual pure basketball enjoyment watching aspect Villanova. Let's just start off with that one 13 for 50 from three point <sighs> range. A school record, I believe, in terms of number of three-pointers taken, 50, 50 in a game. And somehow, we still end up with a 14-point win. Not exactly how I expected this game to go, but I will, I will clearly take it. Um, it was fascinating to watch this game. Villanova, we talked about the zone, how it throws teams off, and how Jim Beheim's a one-trick pony and how it gets cues to the second weekend of the tournament every year. It was no different for us last night. We were clearly struggling with the zone right out of the gate. It made the guys hesitate a lot. Usually we're swinging the ball really quickly. It hits your hands. The ball goes up for whatever reason. The ball would hit our hands, pause, turn, turn, double team comes throw it away, bad pass, bad shot, whatever it was. And yeah, we just didn't have it going in that first half. And frankly, we didn't, we didn't really get it going all that much in the second half either with how it turned out. But anyway, fascinating game to watch. It was turkey jerky for sure. The, the zone definitely fucked with us. I, I thought with our experience um, that we would have been able to execute against the zone uh, fairly comfortably. But I did remember, I was like, I, I had thought that we played Syracuse like in the in Colin Gillespie's like time at Villanova. So too, yeah. And we didn't. Yeah. We hadn't played them in like six, seven years. So yeah. it's been quite some time um, since we played Cuse. So I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, like we've played Cuse before. So like Colin will figure this out. It'll be fine. Yeah. And, and, and truth be told, like, no. And Syracuse plays a very particular type of zone because they are – they practice it all the time. This is not like a wrinkle that they throw in. Like sometimes yeah. Jay plays a two, three zone right, right. and he'll throw it out there for a few possessions just to fuck with the other team. Like, no, Syracuse does this all the time. They never play man. It's not what they do. It's not part of their thing. They've been doing this for like 40 years and they play the two, three zone. And that's, that's, that's their thing. Now they did that. And there's some wrinkles in that where like, the zone isn't necessarily just like three guys on the back and two guys on the front. 
like they shift and like the, the, the guy on the, on the strong side moves up and like, you know, there's, they, they play like a very interesting uh, permutation of that zone. It's a very active uh, zone and they can, and they, and at their, at its best, in its best years, those guys get low. He's got long guys. It disrupts passing lanes. It disrupts, it disrupts dribbling lanes and it's very uncomfortable. This is not a vintage Syracuse defensive unit, but still that, that premise, what it's based on, um, especially when those guys play hard, which they did last night, because they felt like they had an opportunity. Uh, you know, that is definitely an interesting thing to get used to and to get comfortable with. And I'm glad that we did it um, be, and, uh, because oh. we showed that we actually, uh, we, we learned from it as the game went on and, and fixed it. I thought Jay's halftime adjustments were excellent. Now, I would have expected them to be excellent. I was thinking the entire time that we were going into half, I was like, oh, Jay's going to figure this out. And sure as shit, like we, we, we said on the podcast, we needed someone in the high post. We were, we were teeing off from deep, kind of swinging the ball around, trying to create some space um, beyond the arc in the first half. And truth be told, if two, of those, if two, of those, two more of those shots go down, that's a yeah. different half of basketball. Yeah. And you know, the lead, you could argue, it ends up being a 20-point game. But, but regardless, um, Jay ended up taking, okay, Samuels, you're going to the high post. Dixon did it a little bit. Slater, not so much, but, but did for some time too. Uh, and so in the second half, you had him in the high post. So you pass it in, and we started to work inside out. And once we did that, the shots that were the shots were much better. You saw Samuels take it to the rack. You had Slater take it to the rack once or twice. Um, so not not as much, not as much, but you had you had some of that action. That also led to better offensive rebounding. We crushed them on the offensive boards, which is a yeah. big story of the game. Um, and so I thought that the second half adjustments were were spectacular. And once we really once we really broke it down with like about eight minutes left in the game, that eight minute TV timeout to that four minute TV timeout, the game was over. It, yeah. it, it ended very quickly, uh, ended in a flash because we figured it out and there was no coming back. If you ran another five minutes of that game, we would have won by 25. Yeah. Absolutely convinced. Totally. No, I hundred percent agree. We absolutely broke their back. Um, I think you, you mentioned one of the points, which I feel like is a good transition point, thinking about the rebounding kind of lumping in defense with that as well. You know, obviously it wasn't our night shooting defensively. We probably didn't give them a whole lot. There wasn't happening. Obviously, one of the guys we talked about on the podcast, every Nova fan had on the radar was what's Cole Swider going to do? He came out. It reminded me a lot of 2016. If you remember in the final four, Buddy Heald comes out, hits his first three and all the announcers go, oh shit, he's going off for 30. And he was absolutely quiet the rest of the game. Same thing with Cole Swider last night. Came out, hit his opening three, made a bit of a motion to the crowd. He was clearly jacked up. But from there on out, our guys were absolutely in his grill, in his head. He was playing way outside of Syracuse's offense, forcing terrible, terrible shots. And he looked like the player who, I mean, look, I don't want to talk negatively, but like, he looked like the guy who when he transferred, we said, okay, cool. Like, good luck. Um, we're not going to miss you. And yeah, like he didn't contribute anything. So, but I think that was just representative of what we were able to do defensively. We really didn't give him a whole lot aside from one of the many Bayheims on the court last night, Jimmy Bayheim, who got his buckets inside. I have two issues with what you said. Oh. First, the fact that you breathlessly analogized Buddy Heald to Cole Swider is fucking, basically they're basically the same player. It's fucking basically offensive. Yeah, you should take that back. That is <laughs> that is horrible. Okay, that's Cole, one. Cole Swider has Jalen Brunson like decision making. Oh my I'll just, god! I'll just say that. I'll oh my it. god! Secondly, I gotta, I gotta, I got I'll start with this with Cole Swider. At the end, towards the end of the game, I don't know. A rebound comes to him, and he fucking stone hands the ball out of bounds because <laughs> you know that's who he is. Even though he was the leading rebounder for Syracuse, which wasn't saying much because. Anyone who lets us out rebound them on the offensive glass, like by 20 boards is a terrible rebounding team and should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, but neither here nor there, he stone hands a ball out of bounds. And, and I just yell at the top of my lungs. I'm like, 
I'm like, there you go, call stone hands like you used to have at Nova. And like literally there was a crowd of Syracuse fans behind, like in front of me. And they all turned around and left because they knew in that moment they were like, yeah, this guy's right. He gets it. He gets it. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. He knows what we've been dealing with so far this season. And then, yeah, outside of that first three, he scored two more points for the entire game, playing 30 minutes of basketball. And I mean, look, you could see our guys were trying to work him. Our tries were, our guys were like happy to get uh to get him on. We gotta talk about the play of the game where Gillespie oh. just rakes a pass uh from his from his hands. Um, it was kind of a bullshit pass. It wasn't necessarily Cole's fault, but it was just pure Cole Swider basketball where he reaches up and weakly tries to grab the ball. And there's and there's Colin like smaller than him or whatever and just out muscles him out tufts him and just rips the ball on the ground swider falls down like he got shot in golden eye <laughs> and like and like there's colin off to the races there's no syracuse there's no syracuse players in sight we got three players going down the court running back and then and of course the shack fit man play of the week yeah. was this was this yeah was spoiler this here it is boom. yeah boom well I'm, I'm announcing this award now yeah, 100%. colin bounce passes it to to samuels and Samuels just throws down a rack attack and yeah. we go up 10 and that was the end. That, that was, that was, that was the game. dagger. That it was, was it. over. And I love that it came at the hands of Cole Swider. It, it was, was just terrific. I, I got to be honest with you. I was like not coming into this game being like, Oh, I'm, I can't wait to get at Cole Swider because I was happy for him. He worked hard in the program, yeah. etc., and he moved on to what I thought was a better decision for him, a better place for him to be, totally. whatever. But then he hit that first three. He started talking shit. Dada got kind of in his ear, said something. I want to know what it is that he said. Like, my my guess is that Dada was like, I've had a bum leg for two years and I move better than you. But, like, <laughs> I don't know what it could have been that he said. But then Cole was, like, chirping at our guys the entire game. And I posted on Twitter today. It was his it was a gif of cat Williams when cat Williams like, you shouldn't have been talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. literally like he's talk shit. So now I'm like, you know what? Like I contemplated giving Cole Swider the alpha dog of the week um, for, for Villanova because I thought he was terrific for us last night. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. Maybe it's just a perception thing, but, and I don't know, maybe it was related to the talking that was happening going on. I don't know. But as I watched the game, and obviously our guys are smart. They know Cole in and out. They've played with him for years. So maybe they're just capitalizing on what they know is a weakness. All of our guys seem to be playing way up in his grill, way more than they did anybody else on the court. And again, it could have just been them saying, hey, we know he's not as confident. We know what we can do to rattle him. But they definitely seemed to get at the opportunity to just get inside his head and take advantage of it. And it absolutely worked. It absolutely worked. Yeah. You know, you take out one of their best, like, that's kind of crazy to say, take out one of their better players, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. And watching Cole Swider on the court, what, one thing, uh, I, I, and I'll give credit to Chris Lane. He, he brought this up um, on Twitter. Uh, but like, I, I got to say, I was like, you know, one of the things that might be just like a point of animosity is that, I mean, this is a situation that Jay mishandled throughout, throughout like Cole Swider and, and um, uh, Brandon Slater started at the same time. Mm. And like, you're going to honestly tell me that you'd prefer Cole Swider over Brandon Slater, but like, that's what Jay did yeah. for the, for the, for the last for two years. years. Yeah, yeah. Like it took until the end of last season for Jay to wake up and realize, Oh wait, Slater's way better than Swider. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, or, or just higher potential, more willing to play Villanova basketball, more capable of playing Villanova basketball yeah. on the court. And so, like, I looked at that and I was just like, yeah, this is kind of a situation where it's like, it's kind of proves sometimes the point of like, hey, getting back to our narrative of the bench, like, yeah. like wouldn't have been nice what to have Slater yeah. play two more years on the actual court instead of Swider and his stone hands and his inability to shoot the basketball and his ability, inability to defend, like what is going on with that? So it's, it's true. Anyway, I, we, it's a lot of airtime on Cole Swider. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about him ever again on this podcast. That's so. true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, all right. Last thing on this game, we can start to talk a little bit about narratives too. 
my last thing about this game, it was just awesome to see us grind one out like this. Oh, totally. 100% like, agree. This, I was sitting there at halftime. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but going through my head, I'm already thinking, shit, this is kind of becoming like a must-win game. Obviously, it's still early in the season, but having missed the couple opportunities we did against UCLA and Purdue and Baylor coming up next, I'm kind of like, shit like we really do not want to give this away to what is not a really good Syracuse team but as we talked about the ability to make adjustments and the ability to fight through and pull out such a win when you shoot this poorly I was like big win for the confidence level big win for the mentality of the team they've got to be jacked up and they've got to feel pretty good even after like a pretty terrible performance they've got to feel pretty good going into Waco Alan Ray said on Twitter um, that this was his favorite game of the season so far because of the grinded out element of this. We shot like shit. Um, Syracuse was playing their hearts out clearly like a Super Bowl type game for them, which is sad Mm -hmm. to say. It's Mm -hmm. honestly sad to say that about about the Syracuse program. Not like like Villanova has obviously become like, you know, like an amazing elite program over the years. But like the fact that Syracuse, the Syracuse players were clearly like, this is our game of the year. Like, totally, totally. like, like that's sad. Um, you know, they play against Duke and UNC and whatever, but this is the game like, Oh, we got to get this one. Uh, but anyway, um, so I, that he, like the way he, the way he phrased it and whatever, like you're playing his zone. We, we had trouble figuring it out. The shots weren't falling. The first, the first plan of attack was to shoot him up and sleep in the streets um and that was that didn't work and then we had to switch to a different uh switch to a different uh strategy we did that executed um enough and then to like hold them down to 53 points yeah and really kind of just not let them get much of anything we never let any of their guys get comfortable yeah buddy missed shots that he probably should have hit that he would have hit in normal time but like, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that we were just like, we were hounding everybody on defense. And so like, yeah, they missed some shots too, but we missed far more. I just love the grinded out nature of this game. Like I felt like we just toughed it out. I felt like the yeah. mental, the mental game of Villanova basketball uh, shown through. And that was really the biggest difference. The X's and O's aside. The biggest difference was was the toughness, and they, they Syracuse had it for thirty minutes, 25, 30 minutes, and then and then they couldn't they couldn't keep up with us um, as we got into the last part of that game. Totally. All right, let's talk a little bit about. Let's step back. Let's talk about narratives real quick. Obviously, rotation watch is the big narrative we keep coming back to. It kind of seems like it's getting set again, and I don't see any freshmen on the court. Dada has very much re-entered the situation, though I will say he's got a pretty short leash. Rightfully so. He made the appearance in the game last night when Dixon went out with the foul trouble. Jay had a pretty tight leash, though. There were a few possessions in a row. Dada was clearly slow, just you know, missed some assignments and wasn't great. Obviously, doesn't add a ton offensively. And Jay sat him down. And we frankly didn't need him all that much. It's not like they were pounding us inside. So it was fine for us to play small. And I think it worked. But I think the the takeaway for me is you're starting to see that lineup. And I really don't see freshmen kind of making an appearance. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, He seems to be, yeah. I mean, he went eight deep last night. As you said, it was kind of more like a seven, seven and a quarter deep. Yeah. Um, Arch, Chris Archie Diacono did not play much. Three minutes. Yeah. Um, Demir Cosby Roundtree played six minutes. Although I felt like he was on the court for longer it than felt six. It longer. felt longer. Like, yeah, I it agree. felt longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like he went small for a lot of the game, and and Daniels got seventeen minutes. And I thought Daniels. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm giving my my alpha dog, and I'll I'll go right into it. Yeah. My alpha dog of the week. I'm actually going to give to Caleb Daniels. Mm, um, mm. He came off the bench, and in 17 in 17 minutes, he shot 50 percent from the floor, including three, 11 points, seven boards, um, 
and, you know, and only one foul. And I thought he was great. I thought he added just like a different level of spark for us. Um, and the fact that he was the only guy on the team who was, you know, shooting reasonably well at all. Yeah. I thought he was terrific. I thought he was a difference maker for us in the game. And I think that if Daniels, especially when you factor in that he came off of being sick, like and came back in that game and delivered that type of performance. When you put that together, I'm like, yeah, that's that was a special performance for him last night, 17 minutes off the bench. And if we can continue to develop that level of play for him as our sixth man, this team ceiling does raise if Daniels does play better. Yeah. So I, like on the I rotation agree. front, like I'm with you, obviously, and I've made this point ad nauseum that I think Longino and Patterson and Njoku need to get kind of like into it for a couple minutes a game if for nothing else other than to spell the guys who are ahead of them but if daniels is a microwave off the bench if he can be a if he can be a game changer off the bench that does raise the ceiling of this team yeah and i think it's i think he described it pretty well like the couple threes that he hit were pretty significant three pointers that really did a lot for us and that's really all we need for him just come out and hit a couple threes. We don't need 18 points from Caleb Daniels every night. We need a nice 10 and 11 with a couple timely baskets in there and not turning the ball over. So what we saw last night, if we can get that on a consistent basis, I'm all for it. And I'm definitely feeling better about it. And he's playing a little bit better defense without fouling. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's obviously not extending that he's not extending that arm and causing offensive fouls as much as he used to. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I'm very happy with him. You know, there's one thing, there was a couple, there was a sequence or two where he had a couple like, errant, he threw an errant pass and missed catching an errant pass um, in the corner. Yeah, you want to see some of that stuff clean up. But I'm, I'm going to chalk that up to that those first half jitters with, I think yeah. everybody was making yeah. some kind of silly decisions there. I, I agree. And when you factor in the 11 points and seven boards and only 17 minutes of play, it's a very efficient performance, 50% shooting. So I am, that's my alpha dog. I'm, I'm actually going to give it to Caleb. There's other choices out there, but that's mine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like it. I'm trying to think if there's any other narratives that we need to hit. Um, Slater, I'm going to hold my commentary on Slater. We'll see how the next couple of games play out. Um, anyway, I'll just jump to, should we just jump into awards? Yeah. I mean, I've already given out like you've already, yeah. I mean, Shaq fit play. No brainer. Obviously I, that might've been the best. That might've been my favorite highlight of the season so far. I think so. I think yeah. so. It really timely, obviously great opponent. Like, you love to see it. It's going to be a tough one to beat. It's going to be a tough one to beat. We'll see. Um, Alpha Dog, I mean, I'm looking at the box score last night. It's interesting to think Justin was our leading scorer. 18 felt like a really quiet 18. You know what? I'm not going to rock the boat. I like your choice. Big for confidence. I'm sure Caleb's listening. He'll appreciate the credit. So, Caleb, this one's for you. You get the Alpha Dog. Arf, arf of the week. I think it's his first one of the season. So I, I think Caleb is the first player so far. And I don't know, Brian, if you have the record of this, I think Caleb is the first player so far to win both the alpha dog of the week and the pass the fucking ball award of the week. Mm. I think he's won both so far this year. That's an interesting little wrinkle there uh, to use the magic word from last podcast. But if, if, you know, he, he's got he giveth and he taketh away high variability yeah but but there he is winning an award love it and the pass the fucking ball award of the week cole baby it's got it it's got to be cole smart yes <laughs> we, we we passed him on to syracuse so yeah good luck to you guys have happy, fun happy trails yeah it's, <laughs> it's been real see ya godspeed spider-man <laughs> see you later oh um, my god wow. all right should we should we traverse across the country from new york city greatest city in the world the second greatest city in the world waco texas waco all right guys waco. it's basically it's Let's... basically new york in the south that's right that's pretty much it narrative 
or maybe not a narrative, but critical question. I want to start with this right now before we get into any game breakdown or whatever. If Villanova wants to be a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament, is this game against Baylor a must win? That's a question. I wanted to throw it out there. I will develop my thoughts, but like to me, that is the magic question. If we want to earn a top two seed in the NCAA tournament, which guarantees us because we're not playing many Wells Fargo games. So it should guarantee us being in Philadelphia for the first two rounds at the Wells Fargo center for our games. If we want those, if we want that, do we have to beat Baylor on Sunday? Do you want to answer this now? Yeah, I want to answer this question I, now. I think I think that to get a one, maybe to get a two, absolutely not. Uh, just the way the rankings will play out, right? So, so let's play out the hypothetical. So we're what six right now. So let's say we lose the Baylor, and let's we're say we six, lose- but we're five in the net. Five in the net, sure. Yeah. Um, let's say we lose to Baylor. Let's say it's you know it's not a blowout, right? We lose by six or something like that right yeah. so i don't know we polls come out next week I, I don't know how the net math detail works forget it for now but polls come out next week we end up as i don't know if we lose we probably drop out of the top 10 just because we don't really have that many solid wins at that point we probably drop to i don't know maybe 13 worst case 15 let's say we drop to 15 right i think you're crazy i think we wind up at like 10 Okay. Nine. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm playing, I'm playing our worst case, right? Yeah. So you dropped to 15. You still have all of Biggie's play to work your way back into the top eight. And just the way all these rankings work, like teams are going to lose. And again, I'm thinking just AP rankings for right now. Again, we can talk about the net details later, but like just how this progresses out. If you hold serve in the big East and do your job, you will just progress up those rankings over time. And there's almost no world in which we could not hit the number two seed. Like we would, we should definitely be in line for that if we do our job in the Big East. Number one seed, I think is a little bit more of a stretch and you probably need, I'm assuming for the net ranking, like you probably want some more of that quality win there to get that done. But that's just my take. Yeah. Look, I, I think if Baylor beats us, because and we'll get into, I guess we get into it now. Their schedule is inflated, like like they're like eight and zero, but they haven't played. They played no one. They played M- at Michigan State, right? That's about their best yeah. win. Yeah, yeah. and you know, Michigan State's borderline ranked. They're like you know they're fine. Obviously, Tom is a coach team. They'll make the tournament. They'll be they'll be fine. Yeah. But like <laughs> they haven't had they haven't had the best set of opponents so far. But they've kicked everyone's ass that they've played. Um, they look good. They look um, great against Nickel State. I mean, yeah. and so they the committee so looks favorably on that. At the end they've ascended to the number two team in the country. If they beat us and they hold serve in the Big 12, which will be tough again, they will be a top one, two seed. Purdue is looking like they're going to be a top one, two seed. Other teams, Gonzaga, you assume will get there because they're just going to destroy their conference. Duke, you assume will get there because the ACC is weak. Um, and Duke is pretty good, relatively speaking. So you expect Duke will get there. So just kind of working out kind of like the teams and the spots available. I think if Villanova wants a one seed, I think you have to beat Baylor. I, I think I like the, the Big East is good. It's not that good. It's not like that special where if you're just a conference champion, you're just going to be kind of like, yeah. oh, you get a one seed. Like you're not going to get that type of um, – you're not going to get that type of result from, from that. Obviously if we go 20 and 0 in conference, then like different sure. story, but sure. like, we're not expecting that you go 16 and four, which is probably a, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there yeah. into the ether 16 and four seems, uh, you know, like a pretty good result there. Like 16 and four. Yeah. That two or two losses already. Uh, you know, so that's six losses, you know, you're right on the border there of like at any given year of, 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 of the two of the two line. So I am, I feel like you win, you beat Baylor that, that win pays dividends the rest of the season because of the big 12 and how good the big 12 is. So like you do that, 
it pays dividends. You go out, you win, you win 15, 16 games in the Big East uh, Conference. Um, you, you beat Temple, and then boom, you wound up with a you wind up with like a 25, 26 win season heading into the NCAA tournament uh, with like you know five or six losses. That to me is probably one seed material if things yeah. break correctly. Yeah. If you don't beat Baylor and do exactly everything else that I said. You, you're at best of two, at best of two. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, um, so you were talking about the, uh, the, the, the wonderful city that is Waco. Waco, Texas, baby. Yeah. Population 135,000 wonderful souls down there um, with some hot restaurants. We had some great mailbag questions about great places to eat in Waco. Um, we did a little bit of half-assed internet research. Um, I, I kid you not, one of the top-rated places on Yelp is Billy Bob's Burgers. Um, Bob's Burgers. Bill, no, it's, it's Billy Bob's Burgers. No, it's Bob's Burgers. Uh, oh, is that a joke? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a cartoon on Fox. No. Okay. I don't Bob's watch Burgers. That's I'm terrible. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's funny. Terrible. It's funnier. It's, it's the name of the place is Billy Bob's Burgers. That's funnier than referencing Bob's Burgers, which is a, a, a show on TV. Not I funny. respectfully disagree. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, go check out Billy Bob's Burgers in Waco, Texas, and report <laughs> back. Um, hey, before you guys doing. move on, I need to chime in here. Bob's Burgers is on Fox following the Simpsons and Family Guy, Rob. So it's like a gigantic show. I don't watch Fox. <laughs> but like you I don't watch Fox. It. I don't watch Fox out of principle. Because their graphics department has been one of the worst graphics departments in the history of graphics departments. I swear, God created like CGI and graphics departments and imbued all of that knowledge into George Lucas and his team and removed all of the knowledge from anyone who worked at Fox and Fox Sports. Between the robot over the years and now these terrible graphics at the bottom of all of our games that take up half of the screen, I don't understand what's going there. I refuse to watch Fox for exactly that reason. Okay, well, the robot is named Cletus, and he's a hero. And two, that's such an unrelatable opinion. So I'm going to... It is. It's a wildly unrelatable opinion. <laughs> I mean, look, I agree with the graphics on on the... Um, I think we can all agree that it's fucking ridiculous. The, the, the graphics and the scoreboard at the bottom of, of, of FS1 broadcast, which is just absolutely outrageous. Yes. However... Bob's Burgers is a top flight comedy animation cartoon, like period. Like it just is like you saying, I don't know about Bob's Burgers is like you saying, I don't know about Family Guy. That's the level that you just said. I mean, I, I've never seen it. So I, I, I know of it. I know of it, but I oh, didn't. now you're saying you know of it. So you're I mean, walking it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm walking, walking it back. I'm walking it back. I, I said, I said, it was, <laughs> I said it was a reference. I said it was a reference. Like classic Fox News maneuver there. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, can oh, you can you insert Cletus to like appear on screen at this point? That'd be great. <laughs> um, all right, punching to, Rob in the face. <laughs> yeah, back to the, uh, back to Waco. <laughs> Um, one, <laughs> one thing that was, if you're, you gotta, you guys gotta start watching a video. I'm, I'm actually very bullish on this now. Cause then you'll, you'll catch my animations. Um, one thing that does seem pretty cool about Waco is the Farrell center where they are playing the game seats around 10,000 people. Definitely after looking at it, gave me some kind of. I don't know, it reminded me a little bit of, of Kansas, actually, when we visited there, in that the stadium had, or the arena has, like, a decent number of people. It's not overwhelming, right? It's not 20,000 people. It's not the Garden. It's not Wells Fargo. And it feels like the stands are kind of on top of the court. Like, these guys in the game are going to feel surrounded. The crowd is going to be raucous, and I have a hankering – hankering hungering fuck it's 10 o'clock at night i can't even talk um i have a hunch that it's gonna be a pretty intense environment and i this is a game i would actually love to be at um unfortunately we are not part of the mass migration that is making the trip to wake up I, I don't know why we didn't plan this this would have been a good one to go to but whatever um uh, regardless that's what's happening down in waco i'm sure the team is going to stay at some 
uh, cheap hotel. There aren't a ton of great hotels down there. They're going to get some of the like lukewarm, make it yourself pancakes at the continental breakfast. And hopefully they have their energy ready to go on Sunday. Um, I don't know if uh, Shaq approves of pancakes. I, I really doubt it. I really, it's certainly not courtyard in pancakes. I'm looking um, at, I'm looking at the arena. The, the, the arena that it most reminds me of is Notre Dame's uh, arena. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like a circle and that's the Notre Dame is like, got that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. All right. Let's run through real quick. What do you need to know about Baylor hot or not? I mean, technically they're hot. They're eight. No, but like we said, they haven't played anybody. They have not been tested whatsoever. And this is a totally different team than the team we played last spring. Put that team out of your head. Their top three players, top three scorers all left, uh, got drafted. They're in the NBA. I think two of them are actually in the league. I think one's in G League or in Europe, I want to say right now. But regardless, um, Ken Palm has them pretty highly rated. Offense, defense, balance. They cover both. Chris mentioned MSU is the best team that they've played so far. And shooting-wise, like, they don't shoot a ton of threes. They don't make a ton of threes. So nothing, like, too standout-ish there. Um, I think there's a chance we'll get into predictions a little bit. I think there's a non-zero chance that we actually blow this team out and show that Baylor is actually not that good. I think that, I think that is a real possibility for this game. Um, players to watch. The one guy for me that stands out, Kendall Brown. He's a freshman, five-star recruit. He's six foot eight. He's getting some good draft love, projected to be a first-round pick. Going to be a real interesting matchup on the wing. Assume we'll have, he's a slasher. Assume we'll have Slater on him. Um, and that'll be a really, a really interesting test. We've done well against some five-star recruits already. So, um, so we'll see how the matchup is, but he's the guy that stands out. The other guy to look for, Matt Meyer, Mayor, I don't even know. Dirty stash dude, also had the mullet last year. You will know him when you see him. He's a preseason all big 12 pick. He's averaging like 12 a game. So those are the, the couple guys to know for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll just add here a couple, a couple players. LJ Cryer is their uh, leading scorer uh, with 15 points a game. Um, he's shooting 48% from deep. Um, on a high volume too. Yeah. On a pretty high volume. So uh, definitely want to want to make sure that we extend the defense out, out there. Um, and then James Akinjo um, is at roughly 10 points a game um, as well. So James you know, Akinjo, you should know for our listeners, started at Georgetown, went to Arizona. Now he's at his third school, Baylor. Yeah. So, you know, look, these guys are, they, I would say they don't go terribly deep. They go about eight deep, um, but they go like pretty comfortably eight or nine deep. Uh, so, so, you know, no, no one plays, no one on their team averages more than 30 minutes a game. Um, but it's not quite Purdue level of rotation, but it's, but it's definitely, you know, they play hard and they play um, and they play a good, a fair amount of guys. Uh, the other thing I'll note is that uh, in terms of tempo, there are 146, which is kind of middle of the pack. But Villanova is notoriously a slower tempo team. Um, so this is going to be somewhat of a battle of tempo uh, in this game and kind of how that plays out, which if it sounds familiar to our Baylor preview from the tournament, it is <laughs> um, where we said if we can play a rock fight versus Baylor, that plays to our advantage. We successfully played a rock fight versus Baylor in the first half of the sweet 16 game last year, we then let it get away from us in the second half, made some bad decisions, some bad player, uh, some bad plays by players. We had, we had some injuries, et cetera, different time around different game. This time around Colin Gillespie is at the helm who is excellent at dictating tempo uh, more as well. Also just makes you play his tempo. I see us slowing this game down. Um, not, not trying to play at their level, even though I do think that we actually play faster tempo, not poorly. Um, I just think that we are limited inherently by Gillespie and his style of play. So 
Um, and I don't mean limited in the sense of um, capability. I mean limited in the sense of tempo. Uh, so, so this is going to be a battle of this is going to be a little bit of a battle of tempo and whatever they they're going to want to speed us up. They're going to want to kind of get out on us, stretch us out. Uh, they're going to want to uh, make they're going to try and pressure the ball, make us make bad decisions, turn us over, etc. We are going to try and slow the game down, um, you know, keep this possession, keep the possession game in the low 60s uh, so that we can uh, potentially play to our advantage. Where do I see this playing out? This is a revenge game for us, and we bring back everybody. They obviously know that they have a top 10 team coming. They're at home, so they have definitely that advantage, and I think they're going to be hot, willing, you know, you know, wanting to play us, their fans did not get an attempt, did, did not get a chance last year to see them play Villanova in the sweet 16 last year. So I think this is going to be a fully packed house, you know, team people aren't home from finals yet, etc. This is a, this is a tough environment that we're going, uh, that we're getting ourselves into here. That being said, in the battle of tempo, I think that Colin Gillespie is the difference maker in this game. We slow the game down. We bring it to our level it's a battle of backcourt to some degree uh but you will see ultimately because we're able to play our tempo and our speed and force them to play our way because they don't have that top level athlete that they had last year that can speed us up this is why we win this game rob thinks that it's a non-zero chance of a blowout i get that point of view i still think this is kind of a six or seven point game with two minutes left free throws can kind of take it anywhere from like four points to 10 points. I'm going with an eight point margin of victory and I am picking a final score of 69 to 61 race to 69 as the nice. Titus and nice. Tate love to say. And yes, it will be nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> good. good to close that off. I love, it. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to overthink this. I, I do want to correct something that you just said, though. You said we return everybody from last game. That's not true. We return everybody and we add somebody. We didn't even have Colin. And I think to me, this game boils down. But we did have J. We did have J. Rob. We did have J. Rob. That's true. Um, this game boils down to personnel, right? We basically bring back the whole team plus Colin. They lost their top three players. And it's not just like they lost their top three players. They lost three NBA level players. That is absolutely a game changer. This Baylor team is still learning to play together. They're still trying to understand what their identity is because they haven't faced that top-notch competition yet. That's why I do think there is this chance that we can blow them out. That said, the fact that we're playing in Waco the fact that the stadium is absolutely going to be rocking. I do not think it's going to be a blowout. I like the margin of victory that you're talking about. I think there's a chance. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think how you predicted it playing out seems relatively reasonable for me. Um, maybe we score goes a little bit higher and we get, I don't know, call it low 70s. But I'm broadly on board. Villanova gets a W. We return from Waco to Civilization Sunday evening with a Big win in our belts. Looking forward, trying to make that run for the number one seed later in March. But we'll see how it shakes out. Awesome. I like it. Um, hey, there's a mailbag, which I want to get into. But before we get into the mailbag, I want to talk quickly about some of the up, uh, other upcoming games. Mm. Sure. Um, so last uh, just tonight, just before we recorded, UConn lost a nail biter to uh, West Virginia, which is unfortunate um, yeah. because I think UConn could have won that game and should have won that game. Yeah, it's more it's Morgantown. It's a it's a tough place to play, um, and obviously they were going nuts there. So you know, I'll give them a little bit of a pass. Uh, but this Saturday has a a very fun slate of games. But before it. We have Thursday, we have Texas is playing at Seton Hall. Yeah. So Texas is ranked number five. Seton Hall has already picked up a couple big wins in the out-of-conference schedule. 
I like Seton Hall in this game um, playing at the rock. Um, and I really, I really like their chances here. I think they're, I, I've said this before is Seton Hall got that top flight athleticism to make a deep, deep run in the NCAA tournament. I don't think so. They don't have that X, they don't have the X factor guy, but what they do have is a very complete balanced team. And I like them against Texas at home. So Seton Hall is my pick uh, to win that game. That'd be great. And then, and then a fun little, and then a fun little Saturday, you know, a fun little Saturday. going to go to, um, you know, Home Depot, maybe Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know if we're going to have enough time, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, you got BYU versus Creighton, which uh, is is a good game. BYU dropped a really random game recently, but uh, before then, we're almost uh, pretty much a ranked team. Um, you got the Syracuse Georgetown game, which obviously is a rivalry. Uh, you got UCLA at Marquette, which is an interesting one to watch. Yeah. So I would definitely pay attention to that. And then you have St. Um, Bonaventure and UConn. So you got the yep. Bonnies and UConn. Those are teams who are both kind of like, you know, like UConn was 15. They were going to drop now. Yeah. So, you know, they're Bonnies you know, still going to be a ranking. Bonnies team. are just outside of the rankings at this right. point. So you got that. So that that's also very exciting to look out for. So then you got all that. And then you got your Sunday matinee capstone 3 p.m baylor uh versus villanova so really exciting stuff um kind of coming into this weekend i'm and then you know that's kind of like the final teaser before the Big East play starts so i I, i'm pretty excited um for how this college basketball season is playing out so far absolutely nice way to to cap off that our conference schedule hopefully Big East picks up a couple other nice wins all right should we hit some quick mailbag i know we're running long we said we're gonna do a short one but yeah but too bad have some patience, people. Patience. <laughs> I'm going to start with the last question first. Yeah. Should Jermaine Samuels, who had a horrible shooting night against Syracuse, be taking so many threes? And that question could have come from anybody. Um, it probably came from the guy who sat right in front of us, a Villanova fan, who kept being like, you're killing us, Jermaine. He's so mad that Jermaine kept shooting threes. I'm going to say words that would fight with that guy, which is that keep fucking shooting the ball, Jermaine. I like that Absolutely. he shoots the ball. Uh, you know, uh, to me, to me, look, he outside of this game, he was canning a bunch of threes late last season, early this season. Uh, his shot looks different every time. It's like a box literally of every single time. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know which shot form you're going to get with Jermaine, but the ball goes in enough times. I think he should keep shooting the ball. The big reason why I think he should keep shooting the ball is people need to respect his shot because then that opens the lane for him to slash and get to the rack, which is where Jermaine, which is when Jermaine's at his best, when he is a threat to shoot and then he can up fake and get that first step on a guy, he goes up and then he only sees the rim. doesn't matter who's else is in front of him. So Jermaine absolutely should keep shooting threes. And for anybody who says not, Go back to Eric Paschal in 2000. No, no, no. Stop. Stop. Go back to Jermaine Samuels last year. Jermaine Jermaine Samuels Samuels was terrible at the start of the year. And we were having the same conversation. And he ended the year shooting over 40% from three. You don't even need to go back to Eric. Jermaine. But but going back to Eric is a nice... You know, yes. argument to make because he started the season like two for 27. And two for 27. Yeah. Ended up beating Kansas by himself. So yes. there you go. Yes. Um, we did get a question of who is the bigger legend now that we've met them in person, both of mm. them in person. Nova Hat Guy mm. or John Fanta. Mm. And this is a tough one because Nova Hat Guy is, you know, he's, he's, he's just special to, to Nova Nation. He's, yeah. He's there all the time. He's you can count on him. Yeah, you can count on him. However, John Fanta was ranked by the Athletic as top forty under forty in college basketball world. John Fanta is an electric personality. He's appeared on this podcast and will again soon. As a result, I'm going with John Fanta as the bigger legend. I'm going to go with John Fanta as well. I my comparison is is kind of the following. I feel like. Nova Hack, I'm like, ah, oh, it's nice. Like he's Jim Calhoun. He's like been around the block. He's kind of an institution. John Fanta is my, uh, he's my Tony Bennett right now. He's that young guy, but he already has that winning pedigree. 
And it's the, the sky is the limit for Mr. Fanta. So I'm going with him. Love it. And that is a teaser. Look out for John Fanta on a podcast coming relatively soon. We might not get him before Biggie's play starts, but we are going to talk to him in the early part of Biggie's play. So we're going to basically essentially preview uh, Biggie's regular season uh, with John Fanta, who is obviously the guru, the guy who knows everything about the Big East Conference. Totally. So John Fanta is my pick there. Um, sorry, Nova Hackey, but I will extend an open invitation to Nova Hackey to join the podcast as I'd like to learn how this whole shtick got started. Mm, indeed. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, Should we do one this- more? Yeah, we can do one more. Um, I like this one. Does Jay need to be more demanding of getting home games for conference challenges slash non-challenge games? No. Yeah. The answer to that question is no. I actually really like the fact that Jay has had so many away games this year. And if you look at our net ranking to start the year, despite the fact that we have two losses, And one win against ranked competition. We are net ranked five. That is a benefit of math. Why? The committee looks at away games and holds them in very high esteem. And what we've done this year is play a super hard non-conference schedule, and we've done it away from home. That gets points in the eyes of a committee. We are going to raise, despite loss count, that will go above three this year for sure, three or four this year, which is usually the line to make a one seed. Because of that, we have a chance of making the one line with five or six losses if the wins that we get come against the proper competition from here on out. So I am of the opinion that Jay should continue to do that. I love the fact that we're playing away from home. I think it's great. Guess what? I've watched enough games so far at home. I watched us play St. Joe's on what was it, Saturday or Sunday? There were fucking fans weren't doing anything. I don't think yeah. I don't think home court advantage helps us at all. We get the Wells Fargo Center, which is booked out for the NCAA tournament. So we're trying to get into there. So no, I, I think Jay is right to schedule the way he scheduled it. We do have these teams that we're playing coming back to us for home and homes. So we got UCLA coming back to us um, in a following year and so on and so forth. I love that. I think that's great. And so as far as I'm concerned, no, I love the way that we've scheduled this year. Yeah. And there's actually not a ton of room to play with it either. Right. Because in your head, you may think, Hey, Tennessee and Purdue were not at home, which is true. They weren't, but they were actually neutral court games as part of the tournament. We're always going to have those tournaments where we're traveling. So that's not going to change. The big five schedule is broadly not going to change. So it ends up being, Chris, like you said, some of these home and home or home and yeah, home and home situations where, okay, yeah, this year we happen to be away. Next year, they'll be coming to us. And record aside and net ranking aside, I think it's great from a mental standpoint as well, too. As long as we don't absolutely tank and it craters our confidence, these games just really help toughen the team up get them used to playing in those really hostile environments early on so that once you hit Big East play, you're used to it. You've actually seen tougher. And then come March, you're absolutely ready to go and face the top teams no matter where you are. So I'm on board as well. Keep scheduling the way you schedule. This is the year I've been most excited about the schedule. We talked about this earlier earlier in the season. Clearly the biggest excitement I've had for an out-of-conference schedule probably in my entire Villanova fandom. Love it. All right. Let's bring it up. I think we've had enough. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we got Baylor Sunday, 3 p.m., day after my 35th birthday. Shit. You so ABC, I believe it's on. I believe it's on ABC. Nice. Um, Wide World of Sports. Yeah. And it's going to be electric Waco, Texas, 3 p.m. on Sunday. Cats have a golden opportunity to pick up just an, a, just an incredible W away from home against the Baylor Bears. Exact revenge for the Sweet 16 game last year. I love our chances there. I really think that we got uh, an opportunity in front of us. 
you know, if we don't win, the season's not over. We'll have plenty of wins to get later in the season. But I really do hope that we kind of get this one. Um, and so to me, this is this is such a critical game. I'd love to see us pick up a win out of the big three of our out-of-conference schedule, UCLA, Purdue, and Baylor. If you go back to the start of the season, you tell me you pick up one of those games, plus Tennessee, plus Syracuse, I'd say, okay, Fine. I'll sign for that. Yeah. So that being said, love it. Love the energy at MSG uh, yesterday. Love it. we got to bring that for St. John's later in the year. we got to bring that for the Big East tournament later in the year. But – Let's do that, but let's focus on Baylor now. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.